it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Ha. This sound like theme music. Motivation to grind and get you through it. Church. Unbothered, never losing. Check the score. Jamel show improving. Don't make me tell you 50, 11 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word, how I live it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Let me share with y'all how I know the Lord is working in my life. The word of the week is growth. Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. Now, this last week has been no joke for me. In the span of nine days, I have gone to five different cities. D.C., Detroit, New York, Miami, and South Padre Island, Texas. Now, the Miami trip is the one I'm focused on for the purposes of this conversation because it was a last minute thing. I was headed there from New York for only about 12 hours. I started my journey to Miami at 4.30 in the morning because my flight left at 7.10 a.m. Showered, got dressed, hopped in the car to the airport. Despite the fact I was only operating on about four hours of sleep, I was feeling pretty rested. Now, after I check my bag, get through security, I headed toward the Delta Sky Lounge for a little pre-flight meal. Now, if you haven't been on a flight during the pandemic, let me give you a word of advice. Eat before you get on the flight or do like the mother and son did a couple weeks ago and bring yourself a full feast on the plane. That photo of them eating crab legs and lobster and all that, it went viral. And considering that they are basically giving you kibbles and bits these days on flights, I can't say that I blame them. But in the Sky Lounge, they didn't really have shit. No meat, no taters, no eggs, just oatmeal, some Chobani yogurt, and some bagels. So I decided to rock with a bagel and just thug it out till I got to Miami. Now, after enjoying my tasty bagel, made my way to my gate, my flight boarded maybe five minutes later. Now, I'm confident, got a little pep in my step as I walked down the jetway. And as soon as I took one step onto the aircraft, the flight attendant stopped me. She said, Miss, you're going to have to remove your T-shirt. I can't let you on the flight wearing that. I'm thinking, did a dog piss on my shirt? And maybe I didn't notice and maybe it's a smell that has not yet rose to my nostrils. I looked at her funny with an expression that said, what the fuck are you talking about? And then she goes, I can't let you on with that T-shirt because it's inappropriate and there are children that are on board. Now, what she was specifically referring to was this T-shirt that I had on, which said, fuck it, I'm bothered. Free plug alert. Yes, I have T-shirts available at jamelstore.com with the signature phrase that's named for the segment that I do at the end of every podcast. Now, the interesting thing is that the word fuck, which the flight attendant obviously deemed was the inappropriate part of this T-shirt, is not actually on the T-shirt. It just says F asterisk. C.K. Know you was involved. I told the flight attendant that I didn't have another shirt on me because I checked my bag. So either she was going to have to let that F asterisk C.K. ride and those kids that were on the flight were just going to have to ask their parents what it meant. Or me and this flight attendant were about to have to get into some gangster shit. She again reiterated she couldn't let me on. But she said I could go into the bathroom and turn my shirt inside out. And it was at that moment that I wondered. Oh, oh, that's what we doing. That's what we doing. 
that's what we okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I was like, how black am I gonna get? Now, I'm not saying I was targeted because I'm black. Though, side note, the flight attendant was white. But it reminded me of going to clubs or restaurants that have dress codes. Like, they'll have this big-ass sign outside the establishment that says no hats, no hoodies, no baggy jeans, no long T-shirts, no cat suits, no bandanas. And I see these signs mostly at black-owned places because what they're really trying to say is, we don't want any niggas up in here, as in those kind of blacks. Like, wearing a walking suit or some church slacks is just going to prevent you from acting a fool. I have seen motherfuckers dressed like James Bond start some shit, but whatever. That's not my battle today. Anyway, I had two choices. I could comply or turn that bitch out. But here's why I chose to not engage in the latter option. Now, I don't know if you all have noticed, but people have been clowning on flights lately, cussing out flight attendants over masks, getting out of pocket with other passengers over minor shit, just showing out. And I wonder, is this the result of the fact that a lot of people have been cooped up for the last year and some change during this pandemic and being around other people? Everybody's triggered. Now, I know airline personnel are dealing with a lot as the country opens back up. And while policing T-shirts seems like some real dumb shit and the sort of arbitrary rule that it gets somebody called everything but a child of God. I didn't want to pile on and add to an already tense dynamic. Sometimes you have to let some fish swim by. And while going off on service personnel is not something I've ever made a habit of, though I will check somebody if need be. This didn't feel like the time to make a point. Plus, it was early as hell. And I'm not sure my cuss word neurons were even firing. So I put down my backpack, went into the bathroom, turned my shirt inside out. Even though I didn't see nary a kid on this flight, I didn't regret my decision to give into fascism. I call that growth, the word of the week. Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. Yeah. Now on to today's show. Growth is actually a good word that applies to today's guest on the podcast. As an actor, we've seen him grow from a lost but sensitive kid with straight backs on the wire to recently starring in one of Tom Clancy's blockbuster films in which he played a role that wasn't meant for a black actor. He's not only one of the most visible actors in Hollywood, he's officially the it guy. But just as importantly, he has a production company and has been very intentional about creating more opportunities for black creatives. Homie is on his shit in every possible way, even when it comes to his love life, which we're going to get a little bit into in this podcast. But coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, Michael B. Jordan. Michael B., I want to thank you for providing a very entertaining date night for me and my husband. We watched Without Remorse. Thank you. The day it dropped. Yeah, I'm a big Tom Clancy movie. Like, I've seen all of them. Clear and Present Danger, Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games. So I was really ecstatic to see you being a male lead in this movie because he had a whole lot of black folks in the top fantasy movies. It's like you, James L. Jones. That's kind of about what I remember. Not bad then, company, but you know. No, not at all. No, but you you are the unquestioned star uh, in this. And of course, for them to have 
someone, uh, I guess what the niece of who his character was in this and in, in, in Jody Smith Turner. Um, I thought that was like, I was like, Oh shit, it's, it's two black people up in here. Like we doing this. <laughs> we out here. But, uh, from your perspective to be in a movie that's got such a great track record, great author to be, you know, a black man being at the center in this franchise movie, what did that mean for you? It meant a lot. You know, I think representation, you know, as, as we know, is really important. So to be able to, you know, take a, a genre that doesn't have too many um, of, of us, you know, at the, at the forefront um, and be able to like, you know, make a, a solid action movie, especially from the Tom Clancy universe was really, really special. You know, this, like the novel was written back in the, you know, the early seventies. Uh, so to be able to like, you know, make something that, you know, 50 years later, you know, felt like today um, and through, uh, you know, a black lens, I think was really, really like important and fresh. So, uh, you know, modernizing it, making it feel like the world that we live in today, I think was, was, was a lot of fun. Um, I used to play the Rainbow Six video games all the time. So all those hours of imagining myself in those missions and pretty sure my mama yelling at me, telling me, get your ass off that, get your ass off that game. <laughs> Finally had a chance to, you know, put those to good use and, and, um, and make a movie I'm, I'm excited about. I feel like we need to go back in time and lecture black parents. Cause I also, I'm a little older than you. So I grew up during the gaming systems of like Sega Genesis, Nintendo. So, yep. you know, like tech mobile, all that, that was my shit. Right. And so you, as you know, okay. growing up in a household, it just, at some point your parents are just like, get off that damn game. It ain't even no reason why. Like, it's like, <laughs> they just want you off of it. You're having too much fun in it and you're too exactly. quiet. <laughs> it's just that spidey sense. <laughs> but seeing now that you can make a living, Playing video games, I feel like I need to go and tell my mama, like, see, I was going somewhere. I'm studying. I was ahead of the game. I was ahead of the game. No pun. You know what I'm saying? I was ahead. No, but but no, it's crazy to see e-gaming and everything take off the way it is. But at the same time, you know, it, it's uh, like you said, it's a way of living now. Um, so it, it, it's pretty cool to see this era of like video gaming, like take it taken to the next level yeah I, I hate to sound like old woman yelling at cloud but i just want to tell these kids like y'all know how good you have it you got a gaming industry that is catered towards you you can make a career out of that shit you can um tiktok for a living you know i saw <laughs> i saw these courses that they have at colleges like you can there's courses on tupac i was like where was this shit when i was growing up oh man that, i ain't yeah. know that that's crazy well, I mean, it's not crazy, but yeah, I'm glad that, you know, in some places that that's being taken seriously enough to be taught, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I want to talk uh, more about without remorse, but before we get there, I want to ask you a question. I ask all of my particularly famous guests and you would fit into this category. Tell me about the first time you felt famous. Ooh, uh, first time I felt famous. It's probably not the first time, but, I, but, but what kind of comes to mind right now is like whenever like my dinner or my food got comped, you know, like the first time that they were like, Oh, don't worry about Mr. Jordan. You got to pay for this. You're like, I got, I got to pay for this. I ordered a whole lot of shit just now. Like, like this bill is wild. And then they, you know, they, you know, that, you know, it's on the house or they, them comping like a, you know, a dinner or something like that. I think it was the first time or one of the first times I felt like, oh, OK, cool. It's like perks to this, you know, like this is kind of cool. Uh, but you still end up like paying like, you know, like a pretty nice tip. You know what I mean? Just to kind of like cause I'll paying it anyway. So let me just go ahead and like, you know, really pay it for it and, and leave it, leave a nice, a nice size tip. Now, at what point in your career do you remember that first starting to happen? 
probably like around yeah count mills i probably like around maybe like right after fruitville maybe right after fruitville station but like before that you know there's moments you feel famous with whether it's like you you know walking through the mall and then realizing you can't walk through the mall anymore because like you know it starts to become a thing you know when you can't when you like you know people just one after another then it's like a group and then people that don't even really know what's really going on but they just see that something's going on so they want to be a part of that too and then it becomes like 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 a little frenzy like there's moments like that that i've had you know before before that moment but the first time i actually really thought like oh snap like famous is i think probably with the food thing yeah um well, I mean, it, was it uh, a situation where maybe you had a restaurant there? Like, damn, I was real fucked up. What happened to Wallace? Here's a uh, entree on me. me. Cry, like, or like, you know, why'd you do that to G Baby? And I was like, I never killed G Baby. That wasn't me. Like, I, I, I was there. You know what I'm saying? But I, I didn't kill him. You right. know? Uh, but I think it's a little bit of that. I was uh, interviewing Jill Scott recently, and she said that one thing she has loved about the pandemic, if there's a small silver lining, is that it allows her now to go out in public because she has a mask on and people don't recognize them. So has that been your reality too? 1000%. The fact that I could throw a mask on and like kind of like get around is pretty, is pretty cool. Like I just can't talk. <laughs> what I'm starting, what I've, what I've, what I've noticed is that people are picking up on my voice more. And I was like, wow, people really know what I sound like. Like, I, like that was news to me. So that, that that's been a, a new level of, um, you know, fame or whatever you want to call it. So, so for a lot of times I can get by with a hoodie or a hat and a, or shades and a mask, but then it's like, I just can't, I can't say too much. It's like, it's like ghost dad. You know what I mean? It's like, you got to just, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of give the head movement point, point at shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so what's the most ordinary shit that Michael B. Jordan does? Like, do you still go to Target? Like what's some ordinary shit you could still do? Uh, with the mask or just in general? Um, with the mask, I'll say, yeah. Like, can you go grocery shopping? No. Damn. Depending on the time I go. Okay. Like, I, I can I can go late night. Right. Like, you hit up Walmart at like two a.m. and you might be able to get away with it. Yeah, I can I can get away with that. Mm. Like, like, yeah, like late night, late night. I could I could step out some places, but you know, or sometimes hiding in plain sight works too. You know what I mean? Sometimes if you just kind of like just solo if you go with like a group of people then it's tough but if you're just like solo and just like moving through something you can get a lot further when just like you're by yourself just moving instead of like being with like you know security or certain things like that so it really depends i don't know if it would if it would work for you but i have found that acting like you're not yourself and you just look like you actually works so people be like you look like the girl from sports center i was like i get that a lot but nah man that's my cousin yes when you can use that one definitely go with that like that's definitely one it's really you got to just read the room it's it's like what what am i working with right now oh you have doubt i'm playing on the doubt i'm I'm a right like like if there's a little bit of doubt there i'm taking that one you know so and and just running with it right yeah because it's like if especially if you do ordinary stuff people are like why would michael b jordan be up in footlock that shit don't make sense they were like nope that probably wasn't him nope it wasn't <laughs> so, so you can roll with that um but getting back to to without remorse a lot of action in this one you busting much ass yep. <laughs> um but what uh i loved about it too is and i think you've talked about this in previous interview and i like interviews and i like for you to expand on it about how even though it's significant that you know, you're you're a black character in this role that was not written probably for a black character in mind. In fact, it wasn't. You still, as you do in every role, 
brought your blackness to the table. And it's one particular line I remember when you like, this country doesn't love us back. So I'm wondering, is that something you added or is that something that was like written or something that you, you gave a note on like, hey, this is how somebody in this situation might respond? Uh, me and one of the producers, you know, we were uh, just going through what that scene meant um, and what what John would be feeling, you know, how to, you know, when you're breaking down scenes, sometimes it's like, all right, you know, what information are we getting from John? You know, like, how is this pushing the character forward, you know, um, in our, in our story. And it was a, it was a moment where we were figuring out, you know, after the loss of his family, like in that moment, like how betrayed did he feel? How would it feel for somebody to, who, would would have done anything, you know, for his country, you know, you know, uh, to be of service. And then to have that, that trust kind of, you know, ripped away, uh, especially told as a, as a black man, you know, through that lens. And, and we just went with it and it felt right. And, uh, and, 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 and we, so, I, I mean, uh, just to be honest, to be fair, like my experience when it comes to like producing and, dealing with, uh, you know, playing characters that might not have been written, you know, black. And I haven't had any real struggles with, with having it, you know, change or alter or make it, you know, make it what it needs to be to make it real. So, so I've been fortunate enough to work with, with, with collaborators and, and have studios and, and production companies that, that understand and fully support and is, and is down for it. So it's been cool. It's been a cool ride in the sense of there's not, there hasn't been much resistance, but that line was, was powerful and it was spot on. And it was, you know, it, it's, it's how John felt. Lauren London plays your wife in this movie. And uh, by the time this podcast is there, without remorse will have been out for a little bit. So Spoiler alert, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it was a good to see her on screen for a lot of people who, um, you know, have just wondered how she was doing, especially in light of losing uh, her significant other, Nipsey Hussle. But the role she plays in being someone who is, you know, uh, your wife who's killed. Um, I'm wondering, as you all were filming this, is that, you know, how was this particularly emotional, given what her personal experience has been? Yeah, I think I think it was it was it was very emotional. I think we wanted to be you know aware and sensitive of that and um and some, and how we shot some of those scenes. Uh, but also, you know, her sharing her experience with 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 me and um, you know, and having you know pretty lengthy conversations around grief and suffering and and what that what that looking feels like. Um, really helped me get to a certain place as a, as a character, you know, she, um, she was really transparent about that. And I, you know, I was extremely grateful, you know, for that, but yeah, like we, we, we missed her, man. She, she's very talented and has so much to give. So, you know, wanting this to be a little therapeutic, you know, for, you know, as artists, sometimes this is like our space to like vent and to like express ourselves, you know, a certain type of way. And, um, and she felt like it was time for her to do that, you know? So it just kind of lined up like where she was in her life, um, this project. And yeah, it all kind of lined up. Uh, given the the blockbuster nature of Tom Clancy films and, uh, you know, we're still in the pandemic coming out of it, seeing a little light at the end of the tunnel. Was there um, a part of you that missed or thought about what this would be like as a 
as a wider big screen experience like we we were accustomed to having pre-pandemic and how did that um sort of you know uh, how did that how did you approach that the fact that this is going to be on streaming and a little bit different than how we've seen big budget movies uh it was my first time going through it i think we were all figuring it out uh at first in the sense of you know we finished the movie and then we immediately went into to quarantine so i think the you know figuring out how to edit you know how to uh what was that process going to be like um what would theaters trying to project you know and assume what you know if things would be back to normal by by now or not and having to to guess in some areas but but as far as like a you know movie theater experience like i think this one thing that the pandemic really showed us is that you know watching movies you know at home and streaming you know you know you can still get that experience you know i think you can still enjoy movies like this at home you know um at your you know at your own time and i think there's something really cool to that i mean yeah do i love going to the movies of course like that's like what i grew up doing that experience is awesome but i think finding new creative ways to kind of bring that movie theater experience home i think is extremely important as well and in the future we'll start to see that balance you know there was a time where you know downloading music was like not a thing you know everybody wanted their vinyl records and then it was like you know the CDs and the t- so it was like there's always going to be an evolution um of systems uh so i think this is just the next evolution we just got to find a balance you know these kids don't know shit today about recording off the radio hell you probably barely know about it <laughs> playing record i was making my own little mixtapes you know what i'm saying a little cassette with the two, the two with, the, uh, with the dual two. dual cassettes on it. right they don't know about that struggle <laughs> you know well you pray to dj just shut the fuck up long enough so you can take this song you're like please stop talking so i get please. this song right people don't know about that <laughs> In just a few minutes, I'm going to get in Michael B. Jordan's business a little bit about his lady love, Lori Harvey. I specifically want to ask him about what he did for Lori on Valentine's Day, which he rented out an aquarium, dropped some serious ice on her. Very classy, very fancy, very romantic stuff. But before I get in Michael B.'s business, I got a story to tell about the worst Valentine's Day experience I've ever had. Now, before I got married, I had a bad track record with Valentine's Day. Actually, to be fair, I would say it was somewhere between bad and just non-existent. For years, I just kind of ignored it, not because I had some gripe against it. It just was never really on my radar like that. Thankfully, my husband, who is so thoughtful, he successfully gotten the bad taste that used to be in my mouth about Valentine's Day out. Now, that bad taste developed sometime in the early 2000s because one year I decided I was going to go all in. I was going to believe in some Valentine's Day because I was kicking it with a fella that I thought showed some serious potential. Now, this fella was somebody I met when I lived in Raleigh. He was my neighbor, actually. And before I go any further with this story, let me just give y'all some unsolicited advice don't mess around with your neighbors because when things don't work out and you have to see them at the mailbox or when you take out your trash or maybe even at an HOA meeting, yeah, that can be real awkward. But things were going well between me and the neighbor until they weren't. 
I had some feelings for somebody else who lived in another state. And when the neighbor tried to get more serious, I was honest. And I told him that I couldn't pursue a relationship because I had unresolved feelings for someone else. I mean, he took it hard, but I thought we were pretty cool. The neighbor met someone else shortly after I told him that and they got pretty serious. I moved back to Michigan and somehow me and the neighbor reconnected a couple years later on an old relic. AOL Instant Messenger, or AIM for short. See, some of y'all listening right now, y'all don't know shit about AIM. Before Tinder, before eHarmony, before Black People Meet, before Grindr, Bumble, all that other stuff, we had AIM and AOL chat rooms. Those were the simpler times of loading up that free AOL CD using that dial-up internet. This sound used to be music to our ears. Now, I know that sounds like somebody strangling a cat, but that was your signal that you were connected to T-Pain's Internet. Anyway, uh, me and the neighbor started regularly instant messaging. He told me that his relationship with old girl wasn't going well. They were having some problems. And soon enough, we went from just talking on instant messenger to talking on the phone. Feelings were emerging and suddenly we were going to try to do this as in have some kind of relationship. So a plan was formulated. We would get together Valentine's Day weekend uh, in Detroit. Uh, I had the whole weekend mapped out. Romantic dinner, a little sightseeing since he'd never been to Detroit. Got the champagne chilling in the fridge. Maybe even some bow chicka bow bow. So the day of his arrival finally comes. I drove to Detroit's airport, which was about an hour and a half from where I was living because I lived in Michigan's capital city, uh, Lansing, Michigan. Now, I was very familiar with this airport because I was working at a newspaper at the time. And as a beat writer, I traveled all the time and it felt like I was at the airport at least once a week. I got to the airport parked, went inside, because back in those days, you could actually go to the gate if you were not a ticketed passenger. Fun times. But before I went to his gate, I engaged in one of my favorite pastimes at Detroit's airport, which was to get a tasty, delicious, not nutritious, decadent Cinnabon. If you haven't had one, these things are magic. And honestly, for me, it was the best part about going to the airport was that damn Cinnabon. So I got this hot, tasty treat and I'm sitting at gate C-17. Bullshit you not. uh, That was the gate number. I hear the gate attendant make the announcement that the neighbor's flight is arriving. Butterflies start in my stomach. The flight starts to deplane row after row after row after row. I'm craning my neck because I don't see him at first. More rows, more people. And finally, the flight is empty. No neighbor. I see the gate attendant close the jetway door and I'm stunned. I mean, did he come on an earlier flight? Did he somehow walk past me? I asked the gate attendant if everyone was off the flight. And bless her heart, she looked at me like I was stupid as hell because she'd already closed the door. And she told me, yes, that was it. I explained to her that my boyfriend, even though we weren't official like that at all, was supposed to be on the flight. I was worried. Like me, he was in his, you know, early to mid 20s, hadn't really traveled that much. In fact, I don't think he'd ever been on a flight before at that time. I was thinking maybe he got on the wrong plane or missed his flight. What if he had gotten into a car accident on the way to the airport? I begged the gate attendant to tell me if he was on the flight. And while she was a little wary at first, she eventually told me he never got on the flight. 
like I said, different time then. So now I'm really, really worried. I called him using, and here's another relic, something called a payphone. He didn't answer his phone, and now full-blown panic has totally set in. Was he jumped, kidnapped? What happened? I blew his phone up all day. All day turned into all weekend. All weekend turned into a week or so. Now, at first, as I said, I was panicked. Then after a day or so passed, panic quickly turned to anger because I realized this motherfucker stood me up. Remember that story from a few years ago about the chick who drove to Houston, was wearing a diaper, and it was all over some dude, and she was mad as hell? Now, I ain't saying I would have worn a diaper, but what I am saying is I was angry enough to drive to North Carolina just to yoke this dude up. I realized he wasn't ever going to answer my call. Suddenly, he disappeared from Instant Messenger. Uh, he was trying to ghost me in the most epic and humiliating fashion. And you know what? I wasn't about to let that shit ride. So I waited a couple weeks. And this time, instead of calling from my phone, I called from the airplane. Another fun fact you can repeat at parties, airplanes used to have phones on them. Now, granted, they basically charged you $100 a minute to use it. But when in doubt, sometimes you got to use fresh tactics. So when I called from the plane, he picked up likely because he didn't recognize the number. And yes, people used to answer the phone when it was numbers they didn't recognize. And as soon as he picked up, man, I lit his ass up, Jack. Other passengers looking at me as I cussed this man out with every fiber in my being. I mean, it cleansed my spirit. I felt so relieved that I wanted to get up from my seat and run up and down the aisle. I wanted to chest bump every passenger in my row. I mean, if you're wondering what his weak ass explanation was for standing me up, here's the gist of it. It was payback. He was still pissed about the fact that when he tried to get with me before, I told him no because I had feelings for somebody else, which I thought was honorable on my part because I could have lied. I could have told him any number of things or I could have kept kicking it with him knowing that I had feelings for somebody else. I didn't either. I was just honest. He went into some song and dance about how he didn't know if he could trust our situationship since I'd rejected him before. Oh, shit. Nigga, please. Not only did this entire experience kind of ruin Valentine's Day for me in the short term, it also ruined Cinnabons for me for a little while. Because every time I was in that airport and saw that damn Cinnabon kiosk, it just reminded me of how I was once sitting at gate C-17, eating a Cinnabon, looking crazy as hell because I got stood up by Captain Scorn. And now back to my interview with Michael B. Jordan. You have made a purposeful pivot and it really shouldn't be purposeful in the sense of like you playing characters that were not necessarily meant to be played by black men shouldn't even be a thing. But yet it is a thing, unfortunately, in Hollywood. And I took a particular interest when I saw that you are going to be um, remaking one of my favorite movies, which is the Thomas Crown Affair. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Dog, like that shit that is going to be major i mean not like this isn't major no 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 i get it yeah but that's i mean you're gonna be on some like billionaire playboy type <laughs> espionage hi, you know hijinks type of shit i'm like oh my god like i'm super excited about that just tell me how this came to be because i'm I, again i'm as a person who's seen that movie five million times um i can't wait to see your spin on this thank you no i mean same type of like you know, appreciation for it. I think, you know, it's one of those movies every time it's on, it's like, I'm watching it. Like it's, 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 it's on the T on the TV. Um, 
it kind of started from, I guess, the first time I did Creed, you know, um, and being at MGM, this MGM title, you know, looking through, you know, a studio's library to figure out what other things they have in there. It was like, all right, cool. Wow. I got this. Can I develop that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's figure it out. You know, it was really like, it was really that simple. Um, and finding ways to, you know, trying to find the right take, you know, how to, how do you, it's taking some time, but I think once we get it, you know, it's going to be something that, um, that I, I look forward to doing fairly, fairly like soon. But, you know, like I said, that, that type of life, I, I haven't seen too many characters uh, that look like us in that world. And I think it's, it was enough time removed uh, between like the 99 version, you know, um, and, and today that even a lot of my generation, you say Thomas Crown, they don't really know what that is. You know, I don't think they really know that title. So to kind of give a, a new uh, take on it, uh, I thought was a, was a, was a cool idea and something I'm excited about doing. Making that uh, pivot into playing um, these kind of characters, does it take you turning down certain things? I'm just curious, how do you actually do that? Because, you know, a lot of black actors, that's what they want to do is like they want to play everybody and be considered for everybody. But it's easier said than done. So how do you actually achieve this? Achieve what? You mean just uh, like be more selective of what I'm doing or like specifically taking roles that may not be written for like for black folks. Yeah, that's what I mean, because I mean, every actor comes in with that idea. Like, I want to play everything. I want to do everything easier said than done. Sometimes like I I had this conversation with Anthony Mackey and he talked about the roles he was offered after eight mile, like all of them was the same roles. Right. And I'm sure once you're successful at something, you know, like after Fruitvale, I can only imagine what was coming across, especially given your history on the wire. They probably all wanted you to do the same thing. So when you are trying to get and make sure Hollywood doesn't put you in a box. Is this a matter of you having to turn down certain things and be more selective or what kind of intentionality is what I'm getting at? Do you have to have to actually accomplish this? It has to be intentional. You know, I think, I think, you know, you're defined by what you say no to, you know, and I've, I've been fortunate enough and blessed to turn down a lot, you know, uh, that I didn't feel was moving me in a direction that I wanted to go towards, you know, having a plan really helps, you know, strategizing and thinking for long, the long game, I think is really important. Uh, But sometimes it's really, really hard to do that when um, the patience you need to have for your career strategy doesn't financially line up with the lifestyle or like living. So I think that's something that, you know, everybody doesn't have the luxury to have that patience. Sometimes you'll take a job, you know, that it's probably like, eh, but financially it's like, cool. Well, it's giving me the, the room I need to maybe audition for something else that I really, really want to do, you know? So, and, and sometimes, you know, you'll get in the habit of like taking roles that financially pay well, but may not be moving your career down the line that you wanted to, but you're willing to take that compromise because I'm financially like doing good, you know? So I think there's a, there, there's just the, the willingness to, to have that patience or not you know, and it's really up to the person. Uh, for me, you know, I've, I've been blessed to be patient and the ones that I have decided to be a part of have moved me in, 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 in the right direction, you know, um, creating my own IP, creating my own opportunities, you know, I think was, was something that I learned really early. Um, and it started to pay off, you know, um, 
sooner than later. So, you know, everybody has their own path. You know, I think, I think, you know, every, everybody can, you know, they, they, they can, there could be a blueprint, you know, if everybody stuck to the blueprint, is everybody going to be successful? Probably not. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, you know, what's for you is for you and can't nobody take that away from you. I really firmly believe that, you know, this is the path that I've been wa- uh, walking down and, um, you know, just trying to make the right decisions moving forward. I haven't really chased the money. <laughs> well, that that is good because you're right. There's a lot of actors who are really talented who wind up taking these roles because, you know, those bills got to they're not going to pay themselves. Right. So you get it. It's a it's a bit of that. And which also really, you know, and understanding what that is, is also something that drove me to start my own production company to start to create more opportunities for other people. You know, I really enjoy seeing other people win. So it's like, all right, you know. You know, my shit is like okay you know what i'm saying like I'm, I'm good you know i'm developing a lot of the things either for myself but then i have a lot of you know great incoming phone calls but i can't do everything you know what i'm saying i don't want to do everything you know what i mean and, and it's something where it's like being able to create that vehicle for talent i think is extremely important so looking at you know other talented people other talented folks in front of the camera behind the camera like how can i be of service how can i create the thing you know for you to be successful or something that um you know, I always enjoyed it. And, and now that I have the power to do that, you know, it's a uh, it's watch. It's going to be crazy. You said you don't um, you can't do everything. And one I read this and you can tell me if this was true or false, that you you turned down um, playing Dr. Dre and straight out of Compton. Is that correct? Yeah. OK. Um, what was uh, was part of the reason or I, I'm not going to even guess what was the reason that you decided to pass on that? <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't for me. You know, I, I just feel like, you know, certain and I have my own idea about biopics in general. You know, it's really at, at where I was in, in my career. I didn't feel like like me being famous or people knowing exactly who I am, me playing Dre. I, it, it was better for somebody who had more of a, a, a cleaner palette. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like in a certain roles that's. Like Jamie, Jamie Foxx can play damn near whoever, you know what I'm saying? Like he's a chameleon in that type of way. He can really blend into these characters, you know, for myself. It's like, I'm, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't my path. That wasn't the thing for me. Like I said, you can't play everybody. You can't do everything. I can't play, you know, Dr. Dre and, you know, this historical figure, that historical figure, that historical figure, this historical, like that just wasn't my, that wasn't my path, you know? Well, even though he wasn't a historical figure, uh, obviously one of your more memorable roles is Killmonger. Uh, at the time of the taping of this podcast, they released just a uh, uh, a poster of Black Panther two. So, of course, <laughs> everybody's in a frenzy about this. Just just seeing it, uh, a lot of rumors, uh, Mike, about whether or not Killmonger will be back. Anything you care to share while you're on this <laughs> about? whether or not he will return i don't i wish i had more information it's really tough like i i i wish i could say something if i even knew in something i don't know anything so it's like, i know you can't say nothing but i gotta ask <laughs> I, I just ask questions to see a squirm like how much is he gonna lie to my face pretty much no um like i said like we ryan if there's anybody gonna figure it out ryan's gonna figure it out you know in the sense of like where the pivot comes you know having a, a you know a the tragedy like that we're all dealing with, you know, losing Chadwick, I think, you know, Marvel and, you know, Feige and, and, and Ryan and everybody over there, you know, had to figure out what was next. And um, 
And I, I haven't gotten that information, you know, one way or another. So I'm not, I'm not sure. But whatever it is, they're the right people to figure it out. Look, I know how Marvel gets down. I know they basically, you know, <laughs> you know, they they will take you in a torture room if you tell any details. I know how they get down. I get it. But I thought I would at least try. Um, that character, though, became a very popular anti-hero. Was this something that caught the studio by complete surprise? I'm not sure. No, maybe not. I, I mean, we don't really. Um, um, we just wanted to be honest and 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 do the work. Like one thing with Ryan is Ryan doesn't really. Um, he's not in this for the, I guess, like the, like the fame of anything or the praise, you know, he wants to tell real stories, um, and grounded, you know, make it, make it as real as possible. So the fact that, you know, Killmonger was the other side of the conversation, you know, like, like T'Challa and Chadwick, uh, T'Challa and Chadwick, T'Challa and Killmonger. You know, they they cared about their people so much. They were willing to do anything to, to protect them. They just had two different, like, you know, point of views on it. Um, and I think it was a, a strong conversation, a dialogue that we haven't really seen uh, on camera that type of way. Um, and I think a lot of people felt how Killmonger felt at times. And a lot of people have felt like T'Challa felt at times. So um, having that conversation the way we did, I think was um was was uh, innovative and uh, fresh and people really latched onto it. So whenever you have to be a little bit confused that if you really like or hate the the villain or the antagonist in projects, I think you have an interesting, you know what I'm saying, you know, antagonist. So I, I was I was really lucky in that way. Yeah, I think those are the best. Like considering a lot of things that have happened in the last year, there are many of us who have thought you know, maybe Thanos had a point. I don't know. <laughs> he might have had a point. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's, and that's we might cool. have to hear him out. It's too, we got to hear both sides. When Thanos <laughs> is giving his speeches, you like, I mean, I guess I hear what you're saying, but like, you know, like you, 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 you feel for him a little bit, you know? So yeah, those are the most interesting ones to me. Uh, hey, Auntie, was that an ad lib or written? Ad lib. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I suspected. It um, was an ad lib. Yeah. I mean, we had so much fun uh, making that movie. Ah, oh, man, it was so much fun. Uh, and playing a character that you can kind of do whatever a little bit is, is, is fun when you, when you don't have to be, you know, I don't know. You don't have to say the right things all the time. You can pretty, you can say how you feel all the time. And it's like, and it's valid. So it's cool. You are uh, currently, or you currently, or uh, I don't know if that is is correct, but you, Denzel's directing you in a movie, correct? Journal for Jordan. Yep, for Jordan. Journal for Jordan. Yep, we just finished not that long ago, so um, really excited about that one. Uh, intimate love story, um, a lot of fun, uh, based off the the uh, New York Times bestseller Journal for Jordan by Dana Kennedy. Um, you know, play a. a you know, first Sergeant Charles King, who, you know, wrote a journal to his son uh, on how to be a man, how he met his mother, how they fell in love, because uh, he was afraid he wasn't going to make it back, you know, from from war to be able to have those conversations with him. And it's really touching, beautifully, beautifully shot. Uh, Shante Adams plays uh, uh, Dana in the movie. She does an amazing job. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about this one. So it's coming out soon. December. 22nd, I think. Yeah, December 22nd. So what's it like being directed by Denzel Washington? Oh, it's, I mean, he's the OG, he's the GOAT, right? So it's 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 honestly, 
uh, a master class at everything. Um, I mean, from does he talk to you like he talked to Jake in training days? That it's <laughs> <that just, laughs> I mean, like get it up in you, give you some balance. <laughs> I, I think so, so, sometimes. I mean, I, I think I think Lonzo is always just like you know, like two minutes away. You know, what I mean, he could all like depending on. If I'm fucking up or not, you know, he's right. He's right there. Hey, I'm like, I got you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I started talking like him. I think like halfway through it. And I was like, wait, I started hearing this one. Like, what am I, am I saying? Is that me? Hell, I'm tripping. Um, no, but, but he, he has so many gems in front of the camera and behind. It was, it was, uh, it was awesome just to learn. I feel like I grew, I, I grew a lot. I grew a lot on that project and it's an experience I'll take with me for the rest of my life. You know? Now you'll be directing Creed three. Um, you know, being uh, you, you've spent all this time, obviously in front of the camera, pivoting to a director's role. Like, what kind of what kind of director, from a um, a personality and a demeanor standpoint, would you say you are? Uh, I'm I'm pretty approachable. You know, I'm pretty I'm pretty approachable. Low, like not low key, but I, I always wanted to wait and to direct something I had a, a solid opinion on you know, in point of view. And, you know, this is the third time I'm playing this character. It's the most times I played any, anybody before. So, and the world, I know the characters, um, a collaborator, I love collaboration. I like building teams, you know? So, so for me, uh, the team that I have around me that I'm putting around me, you know, everybody cares about the right things. You know, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. So, um, I'm really excited about telling the story and, uh, Torture Tessa, I can't wait. <laughs> I was gonna say, is there any part of you that like really wants to you sort of haze your fellow actors a little bit? Yeah, just maybe a little bit. But I think I'm, I think I'll be a good actor's director. You know, I think obviously I, I know the process and and and, and you know, I kind of know what we what we need in certain elements. So just making them comfortable and creating an environment for them to take risks and chances and to and to trust me. You know, that I think is really really important. All the things that, you know, I think we look for in directors um, is what I'm trying to be, you know, for everybody. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's a weight that I'm, I'm gladly, you know, and, and really happy to, to carry. So I, I can't I can't I really can't wait. I'm really excited about it. So I, I got two questions to ask you before we get to some fun shit. I understand you are a big fan of Martin, as am I. Right? Uh -huh, of course. <laughs> OK, so I have some some Martin questions for you. Um but before I uh, uh, I get to to those particular questions, um, I don't know uh, if you were aware of this, but because of the way you did Valentine's Day, don't give me that look. Charlie, where are you going with this? Mm -hmm. Boy, because of the way you did Valentine's Day, you know there's like a lot of dudes that like fucking hate you. Guys <laughs> why would you ever set that kind of standard? Knowing damn well. <laughs> I mean, it was bad enough you were trying to break up Happy Homes with that Alexa commercial. That was bad enough, was all right? <laughs> but then, but then you decide, you know what? I got something else for y'all. <laughs> Here's this Valentine's Day that is like some of the most amazing shit I've ever seen. I was like, he he got me rethinking my whole marriage right <laughs> no, now. Like, no, 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 just no shit. I'm kidding. It was, you know, I had a lot of- Did you come up with that shit yourself? Did you? Yeah, I had a lot of pent up romance. You know what I mean? That I, oh, okay. So okay. It, it, was, it, was, it was a lot. I wasn't able to do a lot of those things, uh, you know, in the past. So it was, it, was, it was fun. I'm a creative guy, you know? I like right? to, you know, so it was. You're like, one day I'm going to rent a whole aquarium. You know what I'm saying? 
that was kind of on the fly, but it was, it, it was, it was, and then you got to be even more creative because it wasn't a lot of things that was open. You know what I mean? So I was, I was, the circumstances of a lot of, uh, a lot of things kind of, you know, forced me to be a, a bit of a thinker on that one. So it was, it was good. It was a good time. The man everywhere, they just like, really dog, you just not, you're not helping us right now. <laughs> I kind of put myself in a, in a tough situation. Now I got, I got to figure out, I got to figure out next year. I'm like, huh? <laughs> because that's the thing. Because once you start there. I know, right? Where do you go? And we'll figure it out. Well, as you said, you're, you're a creative guy. So I'm sure there's some, yeah. some things you can figure it out. And also, um, you brought up Brian. You all clearly have a very amazing, you guys have amazing chemistry. What do you think is about your pairing that makes what you put out so special? You know, he was like my running mate, but in, a, in, in director's form, you know, I, I think, you know, it's always good to have a partner in things. And, you know, when we first did Fruit, Fruitville together, that was the first time, you know, I was ever like, you know, the lead of a film, you know, where I carried, carried a movie and I was questioning myself a lot. I didn't know if I had it, you know, you could be a talented actor and, and not be able to open up movies or carry a film. And, and uh, you know, Ryan was, you know, he needed his lead actor, you know, and I kind of you know, became his muse in that type of way. And, and it worked out and we speak the same language. You know, he's from, you no, know, he's from, from Richmond, from Oakland. You know, I'm from North New Jersey. You know, we grew up in relationship to a big city. You know, he had San Francisco. I had New York. Family dynamic is very similar. Same age. And yeah, we cared about the same things. Wanted to say, you know, um, yeah, wanted to, to say something with our work. Wanted to express ourselves. And um, he was the, the director. I was the vessel. Just worked out. Fate. Yeah, and you you both have such a good spirit. Like uh, you, I mean, Ryan is like one of the most humble so geniuses dope. I've ever met in my whole life. You know, just like a a dope, just super regular, easygoing cat. So I can definitely see from a personality standpoint why you guys might click. Um, all right, now onto some fun shit, uh, Mike. I know your your rapid fire question game is strong. <laughs> I, I admit. It's strong. Like I, I've done the research. I've dug deep. I was like, damn, this dude, like he just kind of unflappable. So I'm hoping to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, it's a game I have called This or That, which I play with all the guests on the podcast. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that. I give you two choices. You pick one. It's just what it is. All right. Okay. Two choices, Mr. <laughs> Without Remorse Man. Um, all right. Uh, sexiest man alive or times 100 most influential people list time 100 yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. and how bad do do the homies still clown you about being yeah okay I was just getting some shit this morning yeah you just, just giving me some shit yeah yeah what do you say uh, yeah, se- yeah sexy sexy material always or what what was the other one <laughs> <laughs> don't be, don't be quiet now. Now you don't know. <laughs> but the, the the Alexa one had to give him some new material. I'm I'm assuming. Yeah, but the, the the spot was so dope. Like it was so cool. Like I mean, not that Sexy Man Alive is cool, but that one was just a really dope spot. Like it was just. I had a lot of fun shooting, and it was really really funny. Sma is what they call me. Yeah, Sma. That's the like Sma. Sma is in the building. Like what? Sma. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh yeah it's funny. Going back to your days on the wire, uh, Marlo or Avon? Ooh, uh, ooh, man, Mar- Avon. Avon. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Avon, Avon, Avon. Supposed to be yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah, uh, Marlo was, uh, uh, as I say, Avon, though, he had a family code. Marlo had like a, I'm just going to kill you because I feel like yeah, a Yeah, Marlo was ruthless. So I, I think, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, heck, Jamie did an amazing job with that. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with, I'm gonna go with Avon. Uh, more heartbreaking death. Wallace's or Killmonger's? Wallace. Because he had a heart. I mean, Killmonger had a heart too, but like, you know, Wallace had a conscience. He, 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 he was, he was so young, you know, and he, little brothers and sisters, he was trying to do the right thing. Went down to grandma's house. Yeah, it was, yeah, I won't say Wallace is probably my heartbreaking. Yeah, I, um, the, one of the few uh, healthy disagreements me and my husband have is whether or not Wallace deserved to die. Because he's uh, like, he, who agrees? He thinks he deserved to die. And I was like, damn, yeah, I was like, damn, right you right he was like, he was fucking up. Da, 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 he was going <laughs> to snitch. He had to get rid of him. I was like, that's just really messed up. Like, so you, I was like, you might be the only human being I know alive that was like, yes, Wallace had to go. It's like, what? <laughs> Wallace had to go. It's like, all right, I understand. He, you know, uh, we're both from Detroit, so forgive us. What can I say? <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, Otis or Jerome on Martin? Oh, Otis. Ooh, Romy Rome. I'm going I'm to I'm go with Jerome. <laughs> uh, more memorable episode of Martin, uh, Chilligan's Island. Or the episode... I'm a guess. I'm a guess. CD player. Yes, the CD player. <laughs> I, I knew you was going. I'm going to go with CD player. When he channeled his inner sit lane, <laughs> inner Nino Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with the when uh, who stole the CD player. I'm gonna go okay. with that one. You know, Chilling Island was <laughs> that ain't no damn puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a good one too. You gonna have me turn that on later on tonight? That was a good. One. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what makes the CD player the one is that him and the dog, him and the dog and the little fake rock. Oh yeah, yeah. It was the noise, the sound effects, and everything too. It was like like it was it was it was perfect. They must have had it on a remote control or something because that thing, the way it was moving around, was crazy. Yeah, that was pretty good. And just seeing the other characters try not to break character. That is that that's what makes that show for me it's like when they trying to <laughs> they try, and, and, and but and martin thriving off of it so he going around just trying to get people to break so i think that makes me laugh even harder for sure for sure but that was that was an excellent 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 episode so considering your name um your last name it'd be impossible for me not to ask this question lebron or jordan oh you're not fair ah man it's a generational thing. I'm gonna go with LeBron. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with LeBron. I know I'm gonna hear this forever. Why are you doing this? Why are you putting me in this situation? Where you because just... I love the idea. of The headline: Michael B. Jordan picks LeBron as greatest player. Yeah, you know that's gonna be it. All time. It's a clickbait. You know, like yes, I did that just for the clickbait. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna go Brian, but then I'm gonna go with Jordan kicks. You know what I'm saying like I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick my, my ones. I'm gonna pick my ones and I'm gonna pick Brown on us. I'm gonna say that. Okay. Oh, you're not fair. So you think he's a he, you really think he's the greatest player ever, huh? Man, you just the asked me earlier, you said this or that, right? I said that. Yeah, this or that meaning like who's, who's greater? So that's another that's, you ain't got that down on the paper though. Now you now you now you ad libbing. <laughs> oh, oh no, I'm ad libbing. I was like, you know what it be. Don't, hey, don't try to weasel out of this question. That's a long, that's a long winded. Who's the greatest winner? I'm <laughs> I'ma have to go with Jordan sweat, player, over, overall basketball player as a whole. I'm going with Brian. I, I kinda it, it just kinda is what it is. 
Okay. You can run through those stats if you need to. If you want to statistically look at an all overall basketball player who's the greatest player of all time, then I mean, I mean, look at look at LeBron. Is there something LeBron can do that Michael Jordan cannot? I mean, Bron's a better passer, rebounder. Bron's IQ is crazy. I'm not. I mean, look, look. What, what are we? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? See that? See that? That's not. A I'm just helping you dig the hole. I'm just helping you dig the hole. That's all. Oh man. Listen, everybody listening, y'all know his Instagram. Just light him up. No, I'm just, I'm just playing. I'm playing. <laughs> nah, it's too late. It's over. I already know it's over. I'm turning my notifications off. No, but, but you said the you said the right thing. It, it the, though I disagree. I, you said the right thing. It, it is generational because I do realize today's current basketball fans of us of this generation are looking at us and saying, "Wait a minute, y'all really think somebody?" Play better than LeBron James? Like- no, I mean I'm I'm born in '87. You know what I'm saying? So I I I I understand both. You know what I mean? But then, what referees are we talking about? You know what I'm saying? What like you know what we, we uh, defensively who had to guard who in the league? You know what I'm saying? At that time, we we can run down a whole bunch of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. It's we could. Yeah, it's tough. It's, tough. it's, it's, it's situational. I'm getting out of this. Is this over? Yeah, Are we done? Yeah. It's over? We, we, <laughs> he's looking for the, the, the ripcord. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm a, listen, the, the people can hear from themselves. <laughs> you broke that down. I'm, I'm going to hear it. Everybody I can hear Stephen A. now. I ain't going to hear Johnny. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. As long as if it's baby Stephen A., maybe. I'll listen to baby Stephen A. If it ain't Stephen A., I don't want to hear it. Everybody else, I don't have to hear it from everybody. It's, it's all right. It's it's the burden you must bear. Um, but look, I, I I've taken up enough of your time and made you squirm as much good. as I made anybody squirm with one question. I said, like, <laughs> not even a hot seat. I got to roast him some more. It's just what it is. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Um, and just thank you for your wonderful work. So looking forward to everything you have on the horizon. Your production company is doing amazing things with all the uh, projects you're involved with, getting more black creatives, amplifying them and and telling black stories. Uh, it's very important at this critical time, as you know. Um, but yeah, I'm just happy to see you thrive, man. Thank you. You too. I'm happy to see you do your thing. You know what I'm saying? You've been, you've been progressing and you've been on the front lines and like your voice is, is, is being heard heard and you're affecting a lot so i'm really proud of everything that you got going on and things that you're doing so we take notice i i thank you and i i definitely appreciate uh you saying that so the michael jordan trader is getting out of here no, oh, i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm messing with you <laughs> i'm kidding like he's like i'm out i'm out michael b jordan is getting out of here y'all know what's coming up next final segment fuck it i'm bothered have never given a fuck about space other than seeing the star wars trilogy the original one empire strikes back return of the jedi star wars space is just never something that has really fascinated me but to each his own i don't care about life on other planets i don't fantasize about living on a space colony although admittedly i did love watching the jetsons but you know what i give even less of a fuck about other than space billionaires in space I wish that was just a crazy movie concept, billionaires in space, but unfortunately it's real life because last week, billionaire Richard Branson, who CNN estimates is worth 
$8 billion, launched himself to the edge of space in a rocket that was developed by his space tourism company, Virgin Galactic. Now, I'm not one to count other people's money, so I'm not bothered because Branson has spent 17 years and over a billion dollars trying to reach the edge of space. I'm sure if I had Richard Branson money, I would spend whatever I needed trying to develop a pill that allowed me to eat copious amounts of Popeye spicy chicken sandwiches without ever seeing any evidence of it in my hips. But what has me on the level of fucking I'm bothered is the breathless way the media is pandering to the asinine fantasies of billionaires and largely shying away from some serious and real questions that need to be asked. It's the absurd flaunting of wealth and how Branson and other billionaires are able to do shit like have an elaborate fanboy space camp because they are masters of exploitation. The media has proclaimed this the billionaire space race because Branson decided he wanted to reach space before Jeff Bezos. I mean, he said he didn't, but come on. Jeff Bezos founded a space flight company 20 years ago. He announced last month that he'd have his own space mission. But Branson decided, damn that, and he beat Bezos to the punch. Then you have Elon Musk, the second richest person in the world behind Bezos, who has put down money he found in his couch cushions, $10,000, to take a trip with Branson to the edge of space when he does another test flight. Musk also has developed his own deep space operation as well. Oh, the intrigue, the drama. We're in the middle of a pandemic, a climate crisis, a racism crisis, the end of democracy. But according to Branson, being able to travel to space is going to make everything all better. So just imagine a world where people of all ages, all backgrounds from anywhere of any gender, of any ethnicity, have equal access to space. And they will in turn, I think, inspire us back here on Earth. If you've ever, ever had a dream, now is the time to make it come true. What I'm trying to figure out is how space travel is going to be equitable when Branson is charging between two hundred to $250,000 to reserve a ticket on his next test flight. Meanwhile, his buddy Elon Musk reportedly wants to charge people $55 million per passenger to journey to the International Space Station. And Bezos, he wants to charge just a mere $28 million per passenger for a space mission. And yet Branson just wants us to believe that if we just give it a few years, a ticket to Mars is going to be like a Delta flight to San Antonio, a round trip ticket on the train from D.C. to New York or a bus ride from Jersey to Delaware. Since Branson wants to talk about equity, let's have a real conversation about it. Let's talk about how he used two hundred and twenty million in taxpayer money to build his space travel company in New Mexico. Or how he begged the British government for money last year during the pandemic for his flagship company, Virgin Atlantic Airlines. And even though he asked his employees to take an eight week furlough last year, he got space money, though. A few years ago, Branson claimed he moved to the British Virgin Islands for health reasons and not because income isn't taxed there. But he sure looked healthier than a mug on that billion dollar rocket. But you know what? Let me just mind my broke business and stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., 
Christina Tapper is our head of content. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Rich Burner is our head of network production. And Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, our executive producer is Christina Tapper. Supervising producer is Jifa Yador. And project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme, Word of the Week, and Fuck It Unbothered tracks were written and performed by Brandon Lowe, produced by Lucas Bry and Alexander Hitchens. This or That Music, The Choice is Yours, revisited by Black Sheep. Written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc. on behalf of itself and Pete Boat Music. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. And please remember to hit follow on Jamel Hill is Unbothered on Spotify and share with your friends. Ha. This sound like theme music, motivation to grind and get you through it. Church. Unbothered, never losing, check the score. Oh, Jamel show improving. Trophies. Don't make me tell you 50, 11 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word, how I live it. You don't want to miss it. I was born to get it. 